we're looking into 2 Peter 2. Um, I'm particularly focusing on verses 17 to 22, but um, you've done a study in the other ones, and we've had a talk already on 2 Peter 2, and it's all about um, false teachers, right? So we've learned a lot about their characteristics. Uh, we've learned a lot about how to look out for them, that they're dangerous. Um, I'm going to be looking deeper into why they're dangerous um, because of their message. Um, so we're going to be looking at that, um, 17 to 22. It's a hard topic. Um, it's pretty heavy. It's not going to be a laughy way all the way home kind of topic. I've been preaching it to myself all week, and there's lots for me to work on, so there's going to be lots for you to work on. Um, it's like going to the doctor. Sometimes you go to get surgery and you get hurt to get better. And so that's one of these kinds of um, passages. So strap yourself in. I've got a question to start with, and it's uh, have you ever been told about something, something that's potentially awesome, uh, but it turns out to just be wrong, false, and a trap? Call of Duty, all right. Oh, call it that. It's crazy Call of Duty. All right. Um, I'm particularly thinking of one that didn't happen to me, but happened to Phil um, when one of his good mates told him that the 21st is going to was um, a cowboy dress-up. Cowboy is just like so many funny. Cowboy and Indian, but he obviously just went as a cowboy. And it was uh, <laughs> he made a good cowboy, and it was like he dressed up well. So he's got this like, this is going to be awesome, this is going to be sick. And cowboy parties are sick, you should have them. Um, but it turns out it was just a regular party and, um, yeah, he, he actually got like, I thought Phil would be okay with it, like, but no, nah, he wasn't. He was pretty sure he sought reimbursement for um, costume costs from another guy who told him. But anyways, um, so we're going to be looking at something to do with that. Uh, it's kind of a false thing and we'll get into that. So why don't I just start? Um, so verse 17, the first thing Peter is telling us in this passage, that God is telling us in his word, is that the message of the false teachers is deceptively empty because it promises much and it delivers nothing. Um, verse 17, read it. These men are springs without water and mists driven by storm. Verse 19, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves. So this is a pretty quick point. First point, imagine you're in the desert. Uh, you're dying of thirst because that's what happens in the desert. Um, even if you're in the desert of Antarctica, if you think you're smart and you've done geography and it is a desert, drinking the ice doesn't help. It's just too cold. You can't. So you're, you're like dying of thirst and you look out and you see an oasis and it's got sweet food as well as water. And you're just like, yes, so promising. It's preaching all these good things to me. And then you get there and you dive face first and you eat sand or dirt or ice even. And um, it's just empty. Like it does the opposite. You just literally eat dirt instead of drink water. In fact, it's possibly even like, what was it, Tuxedo, the movie Tuxedo, where the water gets poisoned so you drink water and it makes you even more thirsty and then you die of dehydration. Worst kind of water. That's kind of like... <laughs> That is exactly, not exactly, but it's what Peter is saying about the false teachers. Um, like, they promise heaps. They promise freedom. Um, this 
really attractive thing, but when they deliver, they deliver nothing. And verse 19 actually says, they deliver less than nothing, they deliver slavery. They hold out promises of worldly freedom to new Christians, and they only deliver the opposite, slavery. So what does this mean for us? Quick application. Um, We need to be strong in discernment. I had someone just ask me, what is discernment? It's just being able to tell things apart. We need to be able to discern the difference between reality and mirages. If you knew, uh, had a first firm grasp on reality and knew about mirages, that wouldn't have got you in the desert because you're like, classic, I'm going to keep walking that way just in case. But no, it's clearly a mirage. Um, So to drop the illustration now, we need to have a firm grasp on the Christian reality so that we can discern what is part and what isn't part of it. So does the Christian faith promote freedom like these guys are saying, or does it not? How can we tell the difference between springs without water and springs that are filled with living water, like Jesus says in John 4:14, whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst. The water I give him will become a spring of living water welling up inside of him eternal life. One spring wells up to eternal life, and the other one, down to the blackest darkness, verse 17. It's hectic. Discernment is vital. We discern by listening to Jesus, and God's word is key. That's how we hear Jesus. Hebrews 5.14 talks about it. I'm going to be doing a bit of jumping, but getting through the passage. Um, You can write down Hebrews 5.14. But solid food, getting into the word, is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It's discernment. It's key. So the next thing, point two, that Peter does is tell us that the false teachers are dangerous. We looked at this a little bit last week. I'm going to keep going about the message. So firstly, he warns us by telling us that their message is enticingly false. So not only have they got a message that is false, it is enticing. It brings people in. It's attractive. Therefore, I reckon it's important to know what they're talking about uh, so we can have our awareness up so we don't get enticed by such a message so we don't get taken away. Pretty straightforward. And there's information enough in this passage and um, to kind of page flick a bit and to figure out what they were saying. So let me do that with you for a moment. So firstly, verse 19, notice how they entice. They entice by promising freedom. It says they promise them freedom. The teachers at this point got a pretty good point. They're right. Freedom is essential. It is central to the Christian faith. If you don't believe that you are free, you're not a Christian. Freedom is important. I'll be coming back to that. Um, Live as free men is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.16. The verse continues, But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. We can see where the false message has been extracted from. Um, the false teachers essentially have a truth, freedom. Um, it's very attractive. It's good to preach on. But if we read on, it's really only a half-truth. And they use that half-truth to make their whole argument, which half-truth is false, just in case you're wondering. It's simple maths. Um, a half-argument, their whole, makes it false. So live as free men, but what are they doing? We've just learned it like 
of the last two studies, they're using their freedom to cover up their evil. In fact, not even cover it up. If you read in verse 13, I think I've got an ESV um, quote here, but it says, carouse in broad daylight. Um, they're not even like covering it up. They're using it as a license to sin in broad daylight in front of everyone, saying, no, I'm free in Christ. We'll check out this as we go. So they confidently boast in their Christian freedom, and then they entice people to justify the same life and live it with them. So also, let's notice um, who is their audience, new Christians. And I said that at the beginning, and um, I got it from verse 14 and verse 18. Verse 14 says um, people who are unsteady in their faith, and verse 18 um, says those who are just escaping evil, right? So that's where I got that idea. Um, so the false teachers are enticing new Christians away by introducing heresies into the church. We learned about this, chapter 2, verse 1, secretly through the twisted application of quoted scripture. Flick to 2 Peter 3.16. Jump there. Well, you may not have to flick. It's quite short. So Peter addresses this idea when he talks about Paul's letters. So he says, his letters, Paul's letters, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. So notice again, ignorant, unstable. That's exactly what these false preachers are doing. Uh, it's sly, it's subtle, it's secret, and it's deadly. Uh, they take hard-to-understand writings that Paul's written. I don't know, open up Romans something, and if you haven't read it before, it's pretty hard to understand. And they twist it, twist it, twist it, twist it, to justify their sinful desires. And then they teach about it. And they go, I read about this freedom, like in Galatians. So let me read, I was reading Galatians the other day, and I was like, man, this is like totally what they would have been doing. So Galatians 5, pretend I'm just like standing up with Paul's writing. You guys haven't got it because it hasn't been mass printed yet. But um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. You, my brothers, you were called to be free. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We are free from the law. It sounds pretty attractive, free to do what we want. Who's not going to go for that? It's so convincing, so seductive, so promising, and worst of all, it's so what we want to hear. People follow what they want to hear. Um, people are enticed into this thing. But it is so twisted. They forget Galatians 5.21 that says, those who live according to the flesh will not inherit the kingdom. Full stop. It's easy. Yeah, bad habit. All right. So back in 2P2, even though you didn't go to Galatians, I'm back there. 18.19 um, shows us the truth. Here we go. By appealing to the lustful desires of hu sinful human nature, they entice people who are escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Now, I hope you would have picked up from that and what you've studied uh, over the last few weeks that these guys aren't free. They're slaves to what's mastered them. And what has mastered them? It's actually what they're loving doing. It's their lust. It's their greed. They're like experts in it. It's their sinful nature which has enslaved them. They're not free at all. So I think it's worth pausing and taking a look at what Christian freedom is. 
so that you guys can have some kind of benchmark to discern with. But I recommend you totally look into this stuff yourself. Christian freedom is when Christ died and rose again, he defeated sin and death. He freed us from the power and the guilt of sin. Power, sin doesn't have any power over us anymore. Um, Christ has brought us out of that and the guilt is gone. Okay? Number two, Christ's death and resurrection means we are freed from the law. That is true. It's written in Galatians 5. But in the context that Paul says, and not what the false teachers are saying, it's not free to do what we want. It's free from the obligation, from the slavery that the law makes us. So we have to go through the law to get to God. We can't do that. We're slaves to something that's going to kill us. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, sets us free from that slavery so that we're saved by grace. I hope you guys know this stuff. Christ's death and resurrection means that we're freed from our old nature. Ezekiel 36, and we talk about this a bit, describes us having been given a new heart, got a spirit put in us, a new nature, so that we can delight in holiness. So we're freed to holiness. It is the opposite of the freedom that these guys are teaching. Not to indulge in sin. A passage such as this one that we're reading, heaps important to read, is written for that purpose, to remind us of the truth of freedom so that we don't forget the actual truth in freedom and follow a false freedom. So, are you someone who's susceptible to this kind of teaching? If someone was to stand up and do that Galatians 5 rap, would you be in on that or would you know better? Are you ignorant, unstable or new in your faith? If you're new to Christianity, probably don't know heaps of what's going on. You know enough to be saved and you're learning and that's sick. But who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust me because I'm up here and hopefully the people in this room who are leaders are approving of what I'm saying? Or are you going to trust Jono because you're like, yeah, he knows what he's talking about? Or are you going to trust God's word? I hope you'd trust God's word. Become a pupil of his word. Learn it so that you know when something's out of place. If you're not new to Christianity, I reckon you fall into three categories according to this. You're either stable, unstable, or ignorant. Now, are you someone who's grown up in a good teaching environment like EV and you've kind of fallen into the practice of learning what the person up the front says instead of what the Bible says? Because hopefully they should be the same. But are you falling into that trap? Are you ignorant about what's being said? If I take you out of this context and put you in another one, are you going to be looking at the word or at the preacher only? Do you think that knowing the ins and outs of God's word, the important teachings of it, is just a waste of time, don't really need it? Uh, it doesn't really make a difference. Are you ignorant? Are you likely to be swayed because you don't actually know? Are you unstable? Are you all over the place? Are you getting knocked back and forth by waves? The Bible says this is for infants. You've got to grow up into the Word, not get tossed. Instead, we should be stable. How do you get stable? You plant your feet on a foundation. What foundation? Jesus. There's so many things that come to mind, like let's build a house on a rock instead of sand. That makes sense. Um, it's written out at the front of here. Um, Jesus, solid hope. It's a solid foundation. He's a cornerstone in which we build our house, our faith. We build it on him through his word, to be reminded of the truth. 
Lastly, Peter warns us by telling that if we're led away from the truth, then we're worse off than before we had heard. This is hectic. Let me read verse 20, 21. Follow along. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their back. What, what Peter's saying here is if you turn away from Jesus' way of being saved, if you deny the sovereign Lord who bought you, verse 1 of chapter 2, then it's going to be worse than if you'd never heard. Um, there's a principle and a question that I think that comes out of this. Let me kind of preemptively strike at them. Principle is, the more you know about Jesus, the more severe your punishment for rejecting him. Statement. Let's check it out. So you might be thinking that sounds a bit too intense and I'm not sure that's it's Peter out of line here if that's what he's really saying. So let's do a little discerning. So Peter is really just reiterating what Jesus says in Luke 10. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus gives us an equation. He says, more mighty works equals more judgment. Therefore, the more evidence we have of the reality of Jesus, the more severe our punishment for not repenting. Peter's teaching lines up perfectly. So, I was thinking about this and I was like, that's pretty hectic. Um, Because I know where we are without Jesus. And I hope you guys do too. If we don't have Jesus, we're literally at the pointy end of some hectic spear thing that is God's judgment and wrath, right? And you've got no way of protecting yourself. It's just like, ram, you're gone. Um, And it's eternal. It's hackers. That's where we are without Jesus. And somehow, apparently it gets worse. Now, I don't know, don't ask me, um, but what I do know is that the Bible's true and it's saying it. So take that. And I also know that you don't want to be there to find out. But that's, that's a hectic warning. It's a big, big warning. Um, just thinking of an illustration for this. Um, so when you go to the doctor uh, and you've got uh, something, something, tinea. Yeah? Hands up for Tinia. Come on. I know all of you have had it. Uh, anyways. Oh, maybe not. Um, no, no, no. So you got Tinia, you go to the you go to the doctor, you're like, I need to get rid of this, and he's like, sweet, cream, day and night, six weeks. And you're thinking, Oh, yeah, right, okay. Then he turns to you and he says, I know what you're gonna do. You're gonna after a week it's gonna be sick and you're just gonna stop doing the treatment, and then it's going to come back worse. And um, so that's like basically the principle of what is happening here. If God is our heavenly doctor and he prescribes us uh, the medication for salvation, which is take one of these every second of your life forever, (laughs) and it's Jesus, if we remove our trust if we remove our trust of him, 
if we remove our trust of him, we're going to be worse off. That's what he's telling us. So that's the uh, principle that comes out of it. The question that I think comes out of it is one that people often freak out about, so it's going to be a bit of fun to talk about, and it's fun to talk to your mates about. Does this mean a Christian can fall away? Now, this question may not have come up to you because you haven't considered the word elect before. Uh, it's like that's who the letter's written to, refers to the elect and making sure of your election. Don't freak out about that word. It just means God's chosen people to be saved. God chooses people to be saved. That's his elect. Um, Peter is not teaching that God's elect can lose their salvation. I'll explain that in a second. Peter is teaching that church people can be lost. Those who by learning about Jesus in this kind of context make an outward change, um, start cleaning themselves up a bit, but the world drowns them out, they get choked out, and much like the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, um, they'll be choked out and lost. So it's not those who are clean on the outside who are saved, but on the inside. So you might check out verse 22. It's pretty funny. You may have had a laugh about it in uh, G-teams. You might be ironing it off wondering what it's there for. In a weird kind of way, it's for the assurance of God's elect. Let me explain that. So it simply communicates that we shouldn't be surprised if there are those among us who um, do make a start but then turn away. It says, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow. Somehow that means pig. Sow. Good one. Oh, yeah, sow. Yeah. Good one, Chris. Good one, man. Um, that is washed. Goes back into wallowing in the mud. All right? So what Peter is saying, that dogs, by character, I'm going to use the word character heaps, it's important, dogs, by character, will go back to their vomit. We've all seen it, and it's hilarious. Um Pigs will characteristically return to the mud because it's their sunscreen. And I learned that in school. <laughs> All right? It doesn't matter how much they're cleaned up, they're going to keep doing it. It's part of their character. If you're still a dog, you're going to go back to your environment. If you're still a pig, you're going to go back to the mud. But what it can also mean, the flip side, is that if you're changed by God, in your very essence, Ezekiel 36 again, your character is changed. Then you can be confident that you won't return to the field because you're not characteristically a dog or a pig anymore. What are the inside purposes? You may still be. God's elect, by their character, will never fall. We just heard um, from Penny on that. Um, and I'll come to it in a second. Those who stay to the end are those called and elected to be part of God's eternal people. You can write these two things down. Look up Matthew 24, 13 and 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2. Very clear that uh, this is from 1 Corinthians. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's the character of God's elect. It's how you know who they are. Defined by the character. So, if you abandon the way of righteousness, you can evict yourself from salvation. But this can never happen to God's elect by their character. So application 2 Peter 1.10 draws out the point. We heard it. Uh, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fall. 
And yes, it does rhyme. Good pickup. Picked it up moments ago, and you ruined my joke. Um, why would why would Peter be concerned about making your election sure if it didn't mean anything and the elect could fall away? Therefore, be zealous, be eager, be enthusiastic, keen, passionate about making sure you are not a dog or a pig anymore. Individually, every one of us should take it very, very personally to dig deep into God's word. After all, it's the unstable that are drawn away. It's the ignorant that are drawn away. You're either stable, unstable, or ignorant. And I hope we're all headed towards stability. As a community, let's talk about community, all of us together. We are responsible to each other. Hebrews 10 talks heaps about it. Um, constantly helping each other immerse ourselves in the word of God. That's why we meet in G-teams. God's word is sometimes hard to get on your own. We encourage one another. We figure stuff out together so that we cannot be uprooted, so that we're firmly planted with a foundation in God's word. As a community, we're also heaps, heaps, heaps responsible for those who are new Christians. Uh, youth is full of them. Every fat camp we get like a million at least or something. It's just rough figures still coming in. But yeah, we get all these all these people that confess faith like at the end of the camp. They're like, yes, this is what I want to do. How many of them still stick around? I don't know, probably half a million. Um, but where are we? Are we looking out for these guys? Um, even now, there's people among us who are new Christians. We need to help them be grounded in the Word. Um, people don't just become Christian and know that you've got to read your Bible and and study stuff. It's, it's a weird concept. Let's us, any mature people here, be helpers in that. Um, so we're nearing the end, and I've talked a lot to Christians, and I hope it's been challenging, but I do want to just um, say a bit to those who aren't stable or unstable. They're just nothing. They're not Christians. They're not caring about all this stuff. And I really want to urge you to consider how important this stuff is. Um, please recognize verse 19 for the truth that it is. All my mates do not get this. It's like, I, I feel like it's just heaps true. You're a slave to whatever masters you. Don't leave, don't leave here thinking Christians are weird because they worship God. You're a worshiper too. Um, you, I worship God, you worship uh, many things, money, sports, sex, drugs, rock and roll, memories, good times, family. <laughs> That's it. I often don't think of those ones. Good times. Um, anyways, we all worship something, all right? And what you worship will determine a lot about what happens with freedom and what happens with eternal life. Um, so worshipping God leads to eternal life and freedom. Worshipping other things other than God leads to the opposite. Leads to captivity, sadness, punishment, darkness and death. There's a hugely dark picture of what happens uh, to people who follow the false message if you read through this uh, second half of the chapter a bit more. Um, I also just want to talk about False teachers aren't just like teachers that are pretending to be Christians and false. That's particularly 
the ones that Peter's addressing, but the world acts like a false teacher. The world is constantly preaching to you freedom in this, freedom in that. Um, get a job that earns this much so you can do that. Um, go travel to this place. Um, spend your relationships this way. You can be free in that. But what does it really lead to? At least the opposite. It leads to being slaves of that, that which masters you. The world can be your false teacher and you can be eating it up. So this passage is written as a warning and an encouragement to be sure of salvation. So do you have everything you need in Jesus? Are you worshipping him? Are you saved by him? Or are you worshipping something else? Are you falling for a lie um, of fake freedom, which is empty, or are you in the true freedom that Christ offers and you're going to be there for eternity. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that uh, we get to know you, that uh, we can test and approve um, the gospel through it, that it is sufficient and that it is breathed by you. Lord, just help us to take it very personally to be developing our relationship with you in the scriptures um, so that we can get to know more of you, but also so that we can be discerning of any lies that may come our way. Lord, help us to keep strong, to encourage one another, and to not be taken away because we know that it's got a huge consequence. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.